From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. And a very good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Now, the former Prime Minister David Cameron is being questioned by MPs today over his work lobbying for the collapsed finance firm Greensill Capital. Cameron was unsuccessful in gaining access to government-backed loans for the company during the pandemic, but Roger Greensill was accepted for a scheme run by the government-owned British Business Bank. Well, for his part, David Cameron insists he didn't break any rules. He has acknowledged he should have used only the most formal of channels. For its part, the government says Lex Greenshill's applications were dealt with properly and were ultimately rejected. Now, all of this is going to be discussed and digested when Cameron appears in front of the Commons Treasury Committee and then the Public Accounts Committee today. So how important is it to get a clear picture of what happened and the general questioning of what should be allowed in lobbying? Well, John is very pleased to say is Crispin Blunt, Conservative MP for Reigate. Uh, welcome to the programme and thanks for being with us today. Um, what would you like to ask David Cameron at this point? I suppose it's why he identified what he thought was going to be the next great uh, parliamentary scandal um, uh, before the 2010 election. And then after he's been prime minister, uh, then uh, takes a job uh, that he did with Greensill and wonders why, having gotten to the position he's done, um, it's not deeply, deeply embarrassing. Mm. Is it more than embarrassing, though? Are you one of those who would like to see the rules actually tightened up for former politicians around lobbying? I think actually the rules have worked. Uh, the uh, evidence is that uh, uh, he's obviously, I think he took this role more than two years after he had been uh, prime minister. Uh, so, uh, a minister, and that would apply to any minister. Um, and uh, all his conversations and texts uh, have been appear to have been properly recorded um, and they've become available and they haven't worked. Um, now, so uh, I think the scrutiny is, is working. It's obviously, I think it's embarrassing for David um, uh, that this has happened in, in this way. And of course, but Greensill, people have to take their own view about Greensill as a uh, the merits of a business. Um, and it would certainly appear that uh, the original involvement of Mr. Greensill in the government you know, comes from the time he was doing a business degree with the future cabinet secretary, who was then uh, seconded from the government 
uh, to be doing, I think, but to be engaged on the same uh, business education program. And that's where, and obviously that, that appears to be the uh, the connection. Uh, this has then uh, given us the green sort a, a route in, as this way. Uh, but again, you examine all of that. Uh, he was proposing a particular idea for financing, um, uh, and quite rightly, even that was when examined by civil servants inside the government. Uh, that was given short shirt. If the government wants to pay its bills on time, it could pay its bills on time. I, I suppose the problem then isn't really actual influence peddling so much as the perception of it because the, the, certainly this whole affair and, and the wider affair all about lobbying is certainly I think to a lot of people sounded like graft and corruption even if there's no real evidence of it being there that is the perception isn't it yes and uh, and I think but I do think this is where obviously where we you know rely on the media um, to a degree to report things fairly and properly the transparency is being available it is, uh, I think it is actually a good thing uh, uh, for businesses to be effective in their re- relations with government. Uh, government relations is a perfectly proper um, uh, it's necessity for uh, big businesses to run their, and even small businesses to some degree, uh, to run their relationships with government. It's, they're, they're an incredibly important part of, uh, uh, of doing business, particularly the regulatory environment within which you work. And then if you're a Selling a service to government, um, it's just a, it is a customer-client relationship like like any other, and you want to know your uh, know your customer. And if your customer is the government, um, unsurprisingly, you're going to want people who know the government to help you uh, provide the right service at the right price. Now, that's that, that's the pr- proper nature of business. But dealing with the government, it's got to be open and transparent, um, and. Uh, and indeed, it is. Ministers are publicly accountable, and we're seeing this accountability being properly played out. Well, is is there no issue in your mind then with the time devoted that um, the government um, spent a great deal of time, perhaps, or disproportionate amount of time on Greensill versus others? Is that not a problem? And also, the issue with Greensill Capital is that all of this emerged essentially because the company collapsed um, and it might not otherwise have been known? All information was there and available to emerge if there appeared to be an issue and there appears to be an issue. And so this investigation and these inquiries uh, are now being undertaken as part of uh, accountability. That's all uh, That's all right and proper. But, uh, uh, but this is in respect of a business that wasn't done. And when the business is done, all that accountability exists automatically. I suppose one of the bigger issues also is what about cut-through in terms of how much do people, I mean, the the media clearly care about about it, some politicians do. Do your constituents talk to you about this at all? Are they concerned? Um, I don't think I've had, uh, if I compare it to the uh, interest in the uh, much celebrated uh, road trip up to Durham, um, by the Prime Minister's lead advisor uh, last year, um, it barely registers. I would say there may have been one or two, and some of, and some of those uh, emails are coming from people who uh, take the opportunity to have a pop um, uh, when any opportunity arises. 
Do you think that, I mean, a lot of people that we have spoken to, even amongst lobbyists, I mean, for example, the head of the organisation that represents lobbyists, um, the sort of trade association has said that they think that the lobbying rules should be tightened, that it should include you know, on the register of, of lobbyists, not just, um, uh, you know, the kind of narrow group that is included now, but that it should include anyone who is lobbying government. I mean, a lot of people say that yeah. that there is a significant problem with with the rule book uh, and it does need action. Do you think so? I can understand why uh, lobbyists would say that when they're servicing a number of clients. Um, but David Cameron was directly employed by uh, Greensill Capital. Um, and so he wasn't you know, offering his services uh, uh, to others in that way. Um, no, but one of his uh, main jobs seemed to be lobbying, and therefore their argument is that he should well, also his, be on his, the register. Well, he was obviously um, as someone who has been associated with government, working with a, a big concern. Um, strange enough, his responsibilities for that towards his employer um, would have been to do with managing a relationship with government. Um, so, you know, that is all, you know, that's all there and it's all been, and his use of, uh, approaches to ministers and to civil servants, uh, employed by the government have all been properly publicly recorded, um, and are available. So, uh, there, there are then different rules that appear to apply, obviously, to those who are public affairs businesses, um, and it may be that that there's an issue there about competitive disadvantage. I don't um, uh, if you're servicing several clients rather than one, which I suppose is effectively the, uh, the situation here. But but uh, Greensill is the accountable body. David Cameron is working for Greensill as an individual, as I understand it. Um, and his approaches to uh, members of the government using his contacts have all been properly recorded um, uh, by uh, by the government. Crispin, let me move you on to something else entirely and putting on your, your former hat as chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee, as you were, of course, and you are someone who's spoken out a lot on Middle East. Uh, you're obviously observing, as we all are, what's going on between Israel and the Palestinians with some alarm. What should the UK be doing at the moment in regard to this? Well, my question, as you mentioned yesterday, was to uh, ask the Minister, uh, James Cleverly, when are we actually going to hold other parties to account for their breaches of international and humanitarian law? And obviously the most egregious breach of all, which goes to the heart of the conflict, is the occupation of territory that is not theirs by Israel. Um, uh, and Israel has been in breach of, uh, and, and then settling um, that territory. And that is what they've uh, really done uh, since 1967, since the Six-Day War. And the, the, the crime, they uh, certainly, well, the, the evidence is absolutely uh, you can again see all the settlements that have been built on territory that the rest of the world regards as occupied. You are not allowed to do that under international law, um, and Israel should be held to account for it. Uh, there is then the, the, the business, of course, of how you know, 50 years later the conflict has progressed and how both sides are, are breaching the laws of war um, in uh, the violence that is happening. Um, so it is illegal to... Um, indiscriminately rocket and mortar uh, uh, populations, which is what is coming out of Gaza, um, organized by Islamic Jihad and, uh, and the military wing of Hamas. Um, and it is uh, also illegal to disproportionately respond to that, um, uh, to, those, to those 
to yeah. those attacks. And obviously, there is then a, a court process to assess whether or not the Israeli response has been yeah. uh, proportionate or not. Um, but the Israelis have been uh, uh, you know, pers- pursuing a, a, yes. a, a deliberate course of action for a very long time. It was very well documented in the recent Human Rights Watch report. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics, because we begin with concerns about the COVID variant stemming from India, Caroline. Yes, the government's scientific advisory group is meeting today amid concerns about its rapid spread here. It could mean that the last step in the roadmap out of lockdown in England, which is expected on the 21st of June, is actually pushed back. But Tory MP James cleverly says that they are monitoring all variants. We want to make sure we're always basing our decisions on the most up-to-date uh, scientific data. But we have seen incredibly positive numbers because of our uh, vaccine uh, programme. We will be keeping a close eye on all variants to make sure that we move forward appropriately and safely. James Cleverly. Now, all this comes as Boris Johnson is signalling work-from-home guidance will be lifted on the 21st of June when social distancing is due to end. The Prime Minister has also restated his belief that city centres would bounce back remarkably quickly from COVID-19. Meanwhile, Labour and the families who have been bereaved by COVID-19 have questioned the timing of the public inquiry into the government's handling of the pandemic. So the inquiry is due to get underway early next year and will aim to provide a UK-wide response. But the Labour leader, Keir Starmer, has asked why the Prime Minister, um, the Prime Minister's inquiry can't begin this year. And Starmer emphasised the need for transparency. This House needs to be involved in the question of what the terms of reference should be. There will be different views across the House and they need to be heard because this has to have the confidence of all in this chamber. Well, Boris Johnson says that the independent probe will put the state's actions under the microscope. Now, also, this is interesting. The sister of the murdered MP, Joe Cox, has said she would be honoured to represent the people of Batley and Spen. Now, Kim Ledbetter has announced today her intention to become Labour's candidate in the upcoming by-election. Now, Labour's facing a huge test to cling on to the West Yorkshire constituency, where, of course, Joe Cox was killed by a far-right terrorist in June 2016. Now, Ledbetter hopes to defend Labour's slender majority of 3,525 votes in a seat that he's actually had since 1997. The by-election was called after Tracy Brabin, the local MP, was elected as the first mayor of West Yorkshire on Sunday. It also, of course, comes after the rather disastrous Hartlepool by-election. That is something Labour would try desperately not to repeat. Yeah, indeed. So that uh, those are some of the news stories in the world of politics this morning. But back to really the main dish today. So the regulator, the FCA, is investigating the collapse of Greensill Capital. We heard from the founder of the company, Lex Greensill, this week, who said essentially that the banks who bought his products knew what they were doing. Later today, the former Prime Minister, David Cameron, will appear before two parliamentary committees to answer questions about his extensive lobbying on behalf of Greensill. Joining 
Joining us now is Chris White, the former special advisor to several Conservative cabinet ministers between 2009 and 2015. He is now the co-head of advocacy at SEC Newgate. Chris, welcome to the programme. Cameron, of course, says that he's stuck to all the lobbying rules. Does something, in your view, need to be changed around that rule book? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, exemplifies the reason why I think the Lobbying Act isn't fit for purpose anymore. When it was initially established, it was meant to provide transparency. But at the moment, we can clearly see that uh, there's quite a lot of in-house uh, lobbyists working for organisations like charities, campaign groups, think tanks, trade unions, private companies who just aren't covered by these rules. And uh, I... I think David Cameron uh, said himself, uh, if I can remember the quote correctly, that sunlight is the best disinfectant. And I think actually with this, the, the more you reveal and the more that uh, the more transparency there is, the better opportunity there is to see exactly what's happening. Yeah, it's interesting, Chris, because I mean, here on this program, we had a, a special program on uh, lobbying a little while back. And, and someone like yourself from within the lobbying industry, from the people who, who claim who are lobbyists, said there is a world of difference between that in a way and people who are there primarily because they have political influence um, uh, from their former uh, positions within government. And, I mean, and that, that is an important distinction, perhaps one that, that uh, needs to be highlighted in any change in the rules. Yeah, I think the other thing to bear in mind, actually, is that uh, ACOGA, which is a business appointments commission run by the Cabinet Office, is, needs a lot more teeth. And actually, Lord Pickles, who is the new chair of this, has been uh, very clear since he took over that, that, that it needs to be beefed up and strengthened up. I mean, at the moment, any former advisor or minister has to write to that business appointments commission for clearance for any role that they undertake. But in, oh, I, I don't know precise figures, but uh, the vast, vast majority of cases, it simply has said, yes, off you go, go and do it. And you, you may get a two-year lobbying ban on contacting uh, an organisation that you work for uh, in terms of contacting your former colleagues and, and people you may used to work with. But actually, there's no uh, check-up on that. And uh, there's been several instances in the past where people, have, in terms of former advisors, have been caught out. Uh, doing exactly that, and they get nothing more than a slap on the wrist. So I do think things need to be tightened up. I do think the action needs to be revisited. Um, and uh, I think actually the, the, the ban, particularly for, for former ministers, probably needs to be uh, lengthened and extended beyond what it is at the moment. Hmm, interesting. Um, what about other issues then? Of course, um, it's been quite an incredible couple of weeks, really, for the for the Conservatives. I mean, riding high because of the um, local election gains, the the, the win uh, in the by election in Hartlepool, uh, and then sort of yet again revisiting something that was a bit troubling um, in this uh, Greensill sort of lobbying scandal, but not something that's cut through to voters. And then you had the Queen's speech in which there are a number of pretty controversial um, ideas. I mean, the police and crime bill, for one, um, clamping down on protesters, the voter ID law, um, which seems to simply be a right wing import direct from the United States. Where did that come from? Well, actually, uh, on, there's a, quite a few things in the in the Queen's speech which are uh, designed to... I mean, what the government's trying to do is designed to sort of put forward this agenda on, on levelling up. So clearly there's a number of bills in there which they want to tackle that. But you're right, there are also a number of bills which constitutionally, I think, are... Um, uh, I'm just trying to think of the right phrase, waving a bit of a red rag, I think, to, to the opposition. And, and certainly voter ID is one of them. Though I would point out that voter ID has been happening in in Northern Ireland for uh, decades without any complaints. So 
Um, obviously, Ruth Davidson's comments this morning in terms of saying that she was, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure I can use the word that she used on the on the programme, but she calls it total and then a, a swear word. But uh, uh, so I think there's opposition within the party there. But I do still think there'll be enough votes in the House uh, of Commons and in the Lords to, to get it through. Um, you know, I think the interesting point from from uh, some comments made by civil servants said that it's tackling a potential issue as opposed to an actual issue. Uh, so we'll see uh, how that progresses. But certainly the Conservatives have had a very good few weeks. Um, the uh, results in the North and the Midlands really do make good reading for the Conservatives and very worrying uh, reading for, for Labour, particularly in places like Tees Valley, where Ben Houchen won 73% of the vote. 73% of the vote in a former Labour seat, uh, Labour area even, is, is quite astonishing. Uh, um, but there are a few straws in the wind for the Conservatives to be worried about losing seats in places like Canterbury and, and uh, Chipping Norton. Uh, and, and certain Hertfordshire seats as well. So they do need to be worried about about that, particularly when something like the planning bill is coming forward. And I think there'll be quite a few Conservative MPs already have spoken out about that, like Theresa Villiers and the former Prime Minister Theresa May. So I think that that passage might be uh, a bit tricky over the next few months as well. Yeah, that was, I mean, I've heard talk, I'm sure you have, of the blue wall now, the red wall having fallen to some extent in the north, the blue wall that could fall uh, sort of in the home counties, in the, in the southeast area potentially, because people will not like the shape of the Tory party that's emerging. Do you think that's a real problem potentially? Well, if you look at the percentage uh, fall in the vote for the Conservatives in some of these shires areas, it was probably 2 or 3% decline uh, in some of the, the sort of home counties areas. So I think that's a warning shot across the bowels for, for the Conservatives. Um, but there is a fundamental realignment going on in British politics at the moment. I mean, certainly a lot of the northern uh, seats that the Conservatives are looking at winning uh, uh, you know, there could be gains beyond what they've made in in the North and the Midlands. But uh, certainly they need to be make sure that they don't open up their sort of southern flank to a resurgence in uh, in the, uh, either Labour in some core city areas like Canterbury. And it doesn't look like the Conservatives are going to win that one back soon. Um, but also the potential revival for the Liberal Democrats. I think the Chesham and Amersham by-election, which is going to be happening next month, they've just moved the writ for that. It's going to be a very interesting result. Nominally, uh, I think it was something like a 15,000 majority or so for the Conservatives. But uh, as we all know, with by-elections, they're sort of special circumstances. And I, you could easily see a situation where the Liberal mm. Democrats or another party might come forward and come out against HS2 and the Conservative candidate, uh, even though they're publicly against HS2, the party line is to support it. So that could be a real single-issue campaign there that uh, could cause could cause a few headaches for the party. Yeah, certainly. Um, interesting. You mentioned the planning rule issue because Ian Duncan Smith um, was speaking to us, MP, of course, earlier this week, uh, influential, uh, saying that he did not like um, the idea of sort of tower blocks in uh, on you know rural streets of family homes, essentially. Just lastly, what happens, though, if the Indian variant means that the reopening has to be delayed from the 21st of June? How forgiving will voters be in a couple of lines? I think there a lot of people are extremely keen to get out and about and unlock uh, and do things again and go back to normal. But I think there'll also be quite a lot of concern about exactly what this Indian variant means. We need to see, you know, how the uh, the vaccines respond to it before uh, we we know any more. So I think Sage are meeting today. We should hear that uh, later this afternoon about what the plans are. But I, you know, I do hope that. Uh, 
we can keep a lid on that and the, the surge testing can, can identify those people who, who need it. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. <laughs> 